On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank, we are joined by the creator of what is known as the College Football Bible. Phil Steele joins us to preview the upcoming college football season, including OU, Oklahoma State, the Big 12, and who he thinks will be the most surprising teams in the country. Before Phil's interview, we break down the biggest stories in local college football. No OU fans are going to West Point. Watch list season rolls on and the Chuba Hubbard situation. In the National College Football Roundup, we discuss new details of Power 5 testing protocols, the first spring season plan released by the SWAC, and preview a big NCAA Board of Governors meeting on Friday. We wet the beak with some odds about the NBA restart, give you our winners and losers of the week, and discuss Oklahoma City public schools delaying their start date and keeping it local. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man Michael Hostey will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. Beautiful Thursday, July 23rd, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by First Fidelity Bank. Now we're recording this on Wednesday night, and my home is empty, Teddy, and I really hope this isn't echoing badly. Cavernous in there? Well, you take all the stuff out, and it turns out there's an echo in the room, so I would like to apologize if it's a little echoey. But there's really nothing I can do about it. Now, let's see if this Zoom thing, the audio functions on her are worth a flip, right? Yeah, if not, I'm going to send a very sternly worded email to our friends at Zoom. But I I still have my setup at our current house. I I didn't want to have to trust Wi Fi because here, my current house, I'm able to plug into the modem and I feel good about it. I feel good about the recording and all this stuff. So I didn't want to risk it at the mother-in-laws. So frankly, hopefully this doesn't sound like shit. And if it does sound like shit, I would like to formally apologize because I take the audio stuff very seriously. Hey, at the, at the worst, once this is done recording, Ted, I'll just send it to Plank and make him fix it. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, uh, just a few days from now, you'll be in your beautiful brand new studio, right? That I'm sure is in the, in the new place, right? Come on. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to put a bunch of stuff on the walls to make sure it doesn't echo. It's I've never really thought about it before, but Hey, um, I guess. You think you convince uh, your wife to that, that it's okay to uh, staple some eggshell stuff to the, to the new walls? She's been thinking that I need to be in a padded room for a long <laughs> time. So, yeah, it, it is what it is. So if this sounds bad, I'm really sorry. We'll get it fixed, hopefully. Uh, but, yeah, Ted, the house is empty. All that's left, Will and Wiley's in the fridge. 
Guys, stop acting like you're too manly and just accept it. Hard seltzers are amazing. There's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast, and that is Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Ale Works. It's perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. It's made in Oklahoma, and it is absolutely delicious. I dare you to try the mango guava and say it's not incredible. Will and Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you and go follow them on social media at, at Will and Wiley. And if you're drinking it, drinking it because of us, tag us. I, I think they like that, Ted. Uh, well, of course they do. Sure. And uh, I'm probably going to be taking a picture this weekend, lounging by the pool with one. Love My favorite spot. Now, kind of buried the lead because we've got an interview with the man that writes what is known as the college football Bible every year. Uh, Phil Steele joins us for an interview this episode, and it was awesome talking to such a legend. Just in, it, It's all about football. That, that's what we talked to Phil about. So that was a lot of fun. But before we get to Phil's interview, Ted, let's get to the local college football news. And let's start here. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said there will be no fans in the stands for college football games in the state of New York, so no Sooners fans will be making the trip to West Point. That sucks so bad. I know so many fans that were looking forward to making that trip. You know, we had heard Joe Castiglione talk about the incredibly high demand for tickets for that game from OU fans. And it, this is, it, it sucks. I don't, I don't know how else to put it, but I guess looking on the bright side, Ted, Governor Cuomo said the game can happen and it can be televised. So I, I guess if we're looking for optimism for the season and for games being played, it could have been worse, but OU fans not being able to make that trip, that's, that's a heartbreaker, man. Yeah, this one, I mean, rarely do we have trips that, you know, you're going on the road. And we've had some good non-conference trips lately. Uh, Tennessee was awesome. Ohio State was awesome. So we have had those. But this is a little bit different whenever you're going on the road and you're not playing a traditional powerhouse, but everyone is still wanting to go kind of see that that stadium right there on the river, uh, right there at West Point, and all the different cool things that come with that football game. Yeah, it's disappointing. I hate that one. There's been a ton of fans talking about it for, uh, honestly, since they they first scheduled this thing. So that sucks. But, I mean, it's not the worst news of all. I mean, the fact that we can play the football game is is the most important thing first and foremost. And I'm just – I'm happy to hear that the game can be played, number one, and number two, that it sounds like the Big 12 is still marching towards a full schedule, which I, I really love to hear right now whenever you hear more and more news of, of teams, <laughs> conferences, leagues kind of pushing things off to the spring. We're, we're marching forward, man. Well, I kind of see the Big 12's mentality on this whole thing. It's kind of like that shoot for what shoot for the moon and land amongst the stars type situation <laughs> you know just aim high you know aim for the 12 game schedule and maybe you'll land at nine conference games in one non-conference game maybe you'll land at 10 I don't know that's but I, I do like the mentality that Bob Bowlesby and the other leaders in the Big 12 are taking and they're just taking their time right this is this is my whole philosophy on this thing is 
we have never gone through something like this in college football, right? So why rush it? Why not wait to the apps? And I know, you know, people want to have a plan and everything, but why rush it? Just take your time. Wait till the last minute. And I'm Ted, you know how much of a planner I am. They should just wait to the last minute. That's what you have to do in this situation. You know, I hammer the Big 12 all the time about uh, how they handle most situations. It's usually bad. The one true champion thing was a fiasco. Um, <laughs> I feel like almost every year we have multiple players of the year. It's a tie. There's four guys that are the player of the year. I mean, there's just there's all these different things with the Big 12 that really frustrate the crap out of me. But this time, it's actually paid off that um, we're not the trendsetter that we're, we're following behind in everyone's footsteps because this is the situation where you want everyone else to kind of make their statements, you know, uh, try and guess as to what's going to happen. And we're just going to keep plodding along. And I know they're doing their, their stuff behind the scenes and there's a lot going on, but uh, we haven't made any statements, no grand announcements about will or what will or what won't happen. We're just proceeding as if everything is somewhat normal and there's no reason to announce it any other way. I mean, uh, until there will come a time where you have to make an announcement and we're not there yet. And honestly, I'm not even sure when that is. There was a time when, when Joe C said, you know, middle of July, we're going to have to have some concrete answers as to what's going to go on. Well, we've passed that. We're quickly approaching late July. And I don't even know if you have to know then. I really, honestly, if you take the fans out of it, which, you know, obviously uh, against Army, that's what's going to happen. To some extent, it's going to happen to Oklahoma. I don't know what it is. But um, the, the really required planning changes. You know, right. when there's not going to be fans there, really all you have to worry about is getting two teams safely to a spot to where they can play a game. That takes a lot of the, the minutia and everything surrounding the game away from it. So I think, you know, they've been able to buy some time recently with, with some of the things that have happened. And, you know, I don't know that there's a need to, to really make any decisions till maybe right up until uh, game week or getting close to it. You know the only group that is disappointed that this game has not been canceled yet? Hmm. That would be yeah. Oklahoma defensive linemen. Yeah, and uh, Oklahoma defensive coordinators too, or the defensive staff. I don't want to get cut every snap by a triple option team. Please cancel this game. <laughs> by the, the the triple option is a tool of Satan. I've said it many times. Uh, it is – oh, but – I'm excited this game is still on, Ted. I am. I'll tell you, the linebacker room, though, let's see. K-9 had 28 tackles last time. We're going sideline to sideline, baby. They're going to run the ball about 80 times. I'm ready. Let's go. Love it. All right, Rack up some stats. It is still July, which means it is still watch list season, baby. Let's mm -hmm. go. Lots of local guys on some of the watch lists that came out in the last couple of days. The Butt Kiss Award watch list came out. Teddy, any familiarity with this award for you in any at all? Who, this, uh, is 
this? This is for defensive back, right? Butkus, something? No, it's a, it's a linebacker award. I've heard of this. Rocky Kalmus yep. won this thing. Um, Bosworth won it twice. He won the, the award the first two times they had it. Yeah, I've heard of this thing. K-9 should have won it last year, maybe. Should have at least been there for a finalist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like, he shouldn't have won it, but he, he could have been a finalist. I yeah. agree with that. But you won this award. That's why you should be familiar with it. I wonder, do you think I'm ever going to get tired of making these jokes? Um, no, no. You yeah. like making me uncomfortable, so you're going to keep firing at me. Yeah, I mean, the, <laughs> the look on your face when I bring these things up, it, it makes me happy how awkward you feel. It's great. Really good at football. What a loser. <laughs> okay, now the local guys that are on the Butt Kiss Award watch list, Deshaun White. And a little surprising, maybe. Now he started every game last year, had some really good moments, had some, let's go with, not so good moments. Ted, what are realistic expectations for Deshaun White? Uh, and where do you expect to see him on the field? Uh, Going to move him to Mike Linebacker? You know, what's, what's the situation for Deshaun White, a guy that's got a ton of talent? You know, I think it's going to be interesting. I, I think the plan right now is for Caleb Kelly to be the Mike backer and Deshaun White to be the wheel backer. But they're deeper at inside backer now than they've been in a long time. Now, I understand they just lost, lost Kenneth Murray, so they, they've been top-heavy, but now they got some really good talent. Um, Caleb Kelly, is he needs to have a good year. He's He's not having spring football really hurt him. He needs he needs seat time at inside backer. He's he's still played the majority of his career on the edge, so limited amount of reps at inside. It's a difficult move going from outside to inside. Uh, but I think that there could be some Deshaun White playing a couple of different spots. Maybe move him uh, to Mike to add some depth there. Rotate uh, Osamoa in at will linebacker. They've got options. I think that's that's the really good thing. Um, you know, these guys have. I think it's really cool that during the 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 quarantine, you know, they were doing the Zoom, Zoom meetings and everything, and it, it, it's really tough to kind of know where your guys are at. But whenever they came back to town, these dudes are in shape, man. And you know what it's like, Gabe, when you're when you're in college in a strength and conditioning program. It's tailor fit for a hundred guys. So whenever you have a workout group, that's got 30 people in it, it's like you're and it's, you're limited to two hours or, or maybe even less than that. Now it's like you're going through everything as fast as you can. It's hard. Like the days of going to the gym and loading up the bench press and, you know, doing, you know, four sets of five, you know, fully recovered every time before you each do, eat, do each set is, you don't do that. It's like, how fast can you get through the four sets, punch them out, get every rep, not kill each other, and try and make it to the next thing? And these guys have been able to slow down, lift weights, load the bar, you know, spend two hours in the weight room really focusing on some of these lifts. And our team's gotten strong, man. Now, that's a great point, and I think you'd agree with me. That was one of the big complaints about Jerry Schmidt is that we didn't take enough time in the weight room to recover, that we were always going. Now, it made us tougher. It made us realize that we were capable of doing things physically that maybe we didn't 
think were possible, you know, took you to the brink of exhaustion, like that whole thing. And that built mental toughness undoubtedly. But I did think that we didn't make some strength gains because of that mentality in the weight room. And like you're saying, these guys were at home. They didn't have to rush through workouts. They got to take big breaks between sets. And when you do that, you get strong. I mean, that's, that's how it works. So it's no surprise to me that these guys that took the time away from Norman seriously, that they all made big strength gains. I, I've never really thought that going through speed lifts in a college football weight program is the best way to get strong. It's just not, but they have to get through it because they want to get a certain amount of lifts and they have those time constraints. So it, it, it's a give and take, right, with the strength staff. But, yeah, I, I know what you mean. That doesn't surprise me. Are, there, are, are, are your sources telling you that they, uh, they've been throwing some weight around there, Ted? My sources tell me that there's some dudes on this defense that have shown back up and look like absolute animals. I'm talking about some of these young bucks that we've, we've, you know, had around here for a year or two that are, you know, the six, four type of guys that were like 215, 220 pounds are now walking around at somewhere around. I don't know, Gabe, how does 260, 255 sound for some of these guys. <laughs> that uh, that gets me rather excited, and I'm sure some people are going to hear that and go, I like that because that, that's been the big issue, right? You get to the college football playoff, and especially defensively, oh, you didn't have the size. So, yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> All right, Ted, now a couple Oklahoma State guys also on the Butkus Award watch list, Malcolm Rodriguez, who we have talked about. We both love him. And also, Eamon Ongbomba-Miga, both those guys are on the watch list On the watch list now. Both of them were second-team second All-Big 12 last year. So, Oklahoma State, they, they have to feel good about their linebacker core. Clearly, two players now. One player we think is better than the other, but both very productive guys. So, it was good seeing both of those Cowboys on there. No, I think so. Uh, I think they're both really good players. I think Rodriguez is uh, just a really consistent player. He doesn't blow you away with any unbelievable athleticism. He's not a guy that's just – when you see him run sideline to sideline, it's not like, wow, what a – but he's in the right places. He makes the tackles that he's supposed to. He covers the guys that he's supposed to. He fills the gap in run support like he's supposed to. And that <laughs> – that's pretty rare. I mean, honestly, whenever it says a lot that a guy's where he's supposed to be, I know you think that everyone should be where they're supposed to be, but it's, it doesn't happen that way as much as it should. Um, he's incredibly consistent. He's, he's a leader of the defense. Uh, a lot of guys on that team have a ton of respect for him. I think he's a really good, solid player. I think Eamon Ogbong Bamiga is – I don't think he's an every-down guy. I think he flashes. I think every now and then he'll hit you with a couple of incredibly athletic plays where typically it happens because you're out of position and then you've got to make up and fall back and, you know, chase a guy down to the sideline whenever you're kind of out of position on a leverage. Um, he'll hit you with a good pass rush every now and then, especially if he has to be blocked by a running back. 
he he owns those guys. Uh, but he gets pushed around in the running game. But he's a really good – I mean, he, he makes a lot of big plays for them. So, a um, couple of really, really solid players. Now, I think their scheme sucks. Uh, as you know, I've told you plenty of times, Gabe, um, not a big fan of that defense that they play in. But these two guys are good players. This year, we'll see what it looks like this year. But, yeah, they got to be excited about their linebackers. And Rodriguez always rooting for the local kids, right? That's right. Uh, Wagner product. Wagner product. So Eastern Oklahoma. He's cheering for those guys. All right. The Thorpe Award watch list, which obviously everyone here in the state of Oklahoma feels a personal connection to. Colby Harvell Peel. From Oklahoma State finds himself on the Thorpe Award watch list. Ted, this guy is just racking them up when it comes to the watch list, and, and he should. We we love him. He, in my opinion, is their best player on defense. I like watching him play. I think he's smart. I think he's physical. I think he does essentially everything right. Now, is he the best athlete I've ever seen? No, but he makes up for some of that – and I don't want to say he's not a good athlete because he is, but does he just have unreal athleticism? No, but he makes up for that by playing intelligent, fundamentally sound football. And the one thing about him, he gets guys on the ground, which is kind of the key to this whole defense thing. He doesn't blow a bunch of people up. He just does his damn job, and he gets people on the ground, Teddy. Yeah, no, he's he's a he's a talented player. He's um you know, he th- there's a lot of and I think safety is usually the position where guys don't blow you away athletically, but they have two really good things. They have um the ability to get do- guys to the ground, which rarely do you ever have a form tackle situation right? You're, you're diving, you're grabbing cloth, you're doing whatever you can to, to trip guys up, to get people to the ground. Uh, sometimes as a defensive back, you're, you're outmatched size-wise. You just got to find a way to get the guys to the ground. He's good at that. The other thing that you have to have at safety, and I think he has in spades, is instincts. You've got to have instincts. Whenever you're covering a massive amount of space, you know, it's one thing to be where you're supposed to be. If you're a half-field safety, you're way in the back, you're covering a huge amount of territory, and you've got to be pretty conservative with, with what's going on. It's the guys that know when to kick that responsibility, fire, trigger, and go make a play a little bit out of the framework of that defense. And I think that's something that you see him do quite a bit. Now, some guys, that's all they do, and what happens, they get bit all the time they get beat over the top they get put in horrible positions because they're trying to make those aggressive plays and the instincts aren't as sharp I think he's got great instincts and I think that kind of makes him who he is yeah and and that's probably why he is also on the Nagurski watch list (laughs) for defensive player of the year Colby Harvell Peel from Oklahoma State there he is again and Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma now Ted I I'm starting to think people don't realize that Ronnie Perkins is staring down the barrel of a five-game suspension. Do you, do you think they know that? I, I think with everything that's happened between the Peach Bowl and now with coronavirus and the protests and 
the season being up in the air, I think people have genuinely just forgotten that he may be missing the first five games of the year. Maybe the NCAA's forgotten too. Think you could slide that by him? I just, mean, you know, hey, happen. Oh, we forgot. Yeah, hey, Perkins, you're out. Sorry, ah, forgot about that. Um, I, I think he is easily, eh, not easily. He is the premier defensive player in the conference, and I think last year. He was right on the verge a couple of times of having that, that breakthrough moment where it all clicks, your understanding of the defense clicks, your understanding of your technique and your weapons and how to use them clicks, the confidence and kind of the swag that guys have. A lot of people carry around a bunch of fake confidence that doesn't really get you anywhere, but whenever you understand where you're supposed to be, how you fit in the framework of the defense, and the skills and your athleticism, how to use them to your advantage in that defense, that's whenever the real confidence comes, and that's whenever guys start making incredible plays, especially when they have the athleticism that Ronnie Perkins has. And I think that it was just starting to happen. He's a game-playing guy, Gabe, and you know this. Every now and then you come across guys that are just so strong, so disruptive, that it changes the way that you game plan on a given week. And I think that's, that's what Ronnie Perkins is really on the verge of becoming. Listen to this, though. So his last game was what? December 7th, 2019? Yeah, Big 12 championship game, right? December 7th, 2019. If we push this thing to the spring, who knows whenever the, the season starts, maybe at best – Early February, right? You'd have to have a January training camp probably or mid-February. Who knows? It's going to be a year and two, maybe three months if we move this thing to the spring since he's played in a football game. That's unreal. And then well, – but you'd push it back further than that. I mean – Gross. That's a lot of time away from the, the field. It, it's a lot of time for him to be in the weight room, though, right? Doing those curls, man. It's going to look huge. He's going to look massive. So we'll see. But exciting to see Ronnie Perkins on the Nagurski watch list. Now, the important guys, the Outland Trophy watch list. The Sooners have two guys on it. Creed Humphrey, which probably doesn't surprise anyone. He's widely regarded as the best center in college football. But then Adrian Ely is also on there. And, Ted, we've talked about it, but Ely basically played almost three-fourths of the season, but certainly half of the season on one leg. I mean, he was really battling that MCL in his knee that he hurt. He got hurt in that bye week. Remember, got rolled up in practice. So he played pretty dang well for a guy that was in a lot of pain last season. So – He's had all kinds of time to rehab, get right. And I think they're expecting big things from him. And he's a talented dude. I love his composure. I love how he plays physical, but also kind of stays even keel. Doesn't let his emotions get the best of him. And I'm expecting a big jump from him this year. And he's one of those guys that when I talked to him at the end of the year, it was like, dude, if you can increase your strength, like you've got the technique, you've got the attitude, 
And I'm hoping he's one of those guys that is really taking advantage of this time. But I'm not sure if Creed can win the Outland Trophy. They don't give it to centers very often. But let's not forget, there is a Remington Trophy. Now, that watch list hasn't come out yet, but Creed will definitely be on it that he should definitely have his sights on. But the Outland, not exactly an award that goes to centers very often. They like the offensive tackles, the big athletic guys. They're so cool. Let me ask you a question. I lo- always um, – I, I don't know. I think it's the kind of the NFL nature of the way I think. In, in the NFL, everyone evaluates every player by – it always starts with who does he remind you of. When you watch Adrian Ely, who does he remind you of? He personally, he reminds me of Daryl Williams, a guy that really? I played with. Now, he's not as big as Daryl, not as thick but moves pretty similarly to Daryl. I mean, that when you asked me, that's the first thing that came to my mind. And one thing, I, I haven't seen Adrian Ely play that much football healthy. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard for me to judge like, okay, how does he really move when he's 100%? You know, what's he like as a player? Because the majority of the games, the majority of tape I've seen him is he's dragging around on one leg, Ted. I mean, it's the same thing with Swenson. I mean – you know, everyone's like, well, how's Swinson? I was like, oh, well, I don't know. He's got tape all over his body. He's held together by bailing wire right now. I mean, it's hard to play football whenever you're in an extreme amount of pain. So uh, I'm with you on that. What about Creed? I think Creed is like a – he's unique. Rarely do you see – Nelson played center. What's that? I said if Quinn oh. Nelson played center. Exactly. That's what I was going to say is he's like, he's a rare breed. Rarely do you see guys that are that big and, you know, just that heavy, that, you know, that massive at center. But um, what would you say that Creed's, you know, obviously the size, the strength, the the ability to move people. um, I think he's, you think he's really smart. I think he knows the offense, knows how to call out uh, protections and, and fronts and all of that stuff. But, what would you say is the one thing that Creed really needs to work on? I think technique. Yeah. Because, and I've talked to Creed about this. This is no secret. He is a dominant player in college football. He would be the best player in college football if he played with better technique. If he really dedicated himself to playing with better pad level, to playing with better hand placement. The thing about it right now is, he doesn't have to do that. Get away with it, yeah. He's, he's stronger than everybody else. I mean, and that's how it's been for him probably forever, right? But when you get to the National Football League, everyone's strong as hell and everyone's big. So you have to start developing that technique. And it may take that realization moment in the NFL in practice, one of those early practices when he gets to the league where it's like, okay, I'm going to have to start bending my knees a little more. I'm going to have to start focusing on where I place my hands. I'm going to have to start focusing a little more on my hat placement because right now he can just muscle dudes, right? I mean, he can be high, a little high on a bull rush and shut it down because he's a gazillion pound squatter, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if he does that in the league, the guy that's pushing him backwards is going to take him straight into a quarterback because he also can move a gazillion pounds in the weight room. So that's, that's my big thing with him is, hey, I understand why he doesn't 
change it right now. And he's been – I don't want to make it sound like he doesn't work on it because, of course, he does. I mean, he plays for Bill Beanbow. Bill Beanbow is obsessive about technique. But right now he can get away with things because he's so damn strong. And in the Big 12, there's not many, if any, this year, elite interior defensive linemen. There's just not. So that's one of those things where it's like he may not change until he has to. You know what I mean? And that's – and, and, and we've had that conversation where it's like, dude, hey, you're getting by. You know, I'll watch the tape, and I'll be like, dude, that is just not fundamentally sound. But he blocks the guy, and he gets the job done, and the guy doesn't get near the quarterback. So it's hard to complain about the result, but it's one of those things like, hey, you have to have some foresight. You're going to be a first, second-round draft pick at the worst. If you can start developing that technique right now, just think of what your ceiling is. And, and that's it. He doesn't have to do it now, but you, it makes sense, though, that he wouldn't focus that much on it because, well, he, he can just bully everyone in college. Care to hear a related story? <laughs> um, so in, when, when I went to the NFL, I, was, I wasn't very good at a lot of things, but one of the things I was good at is this is back a million years ago whenever teams still ran eye formation in um, you know in rundowns and, and ran behind true fullbacks. Well, one of the things I was good at is you know whenever you're in a gap sound defense and they're in an eye formation and they run a lead just a the fullback isolating on a linebacker and they double team up front, you know the the center and the and the guard double team on the nose. One of the things I was always really good at is having a really fast step, getting over the top of the double team and peeling either the guard or the center off of the double team and kind of forming that wall right there. And really what you want to do is try and hit the, the guard and the fullback all at the same time and make like a wall right there, okay? So it's one of the things that I, I, was, I was always – pretty good at it. I had a good good eye for it and I could get over there real fast and, and stay nice and low. Well, <laughs> we were playing uh, the 49ers one year and they run a lead week. I got a great first step. I'm flying over the top. Here's the double team, right? I see the guard and I'm going really low, really fast. I'm about to blast that guard and try and take him off the double team. Well, I come flying in there nice and low. I got a, a good lean in there. I'm about to blow. Ba-doom! I just get smashed right in the face, okay? And it's like, what what happened? How could that be? But I'm good at this. It's like, how is that possible? I'm running full speed. I'm like two feet off the ground. I've got great pad level. I mean, my feet, I had good footwork. Take a guess at who that guard was. It was late in his career. People forget he played at San Francisco. Larry Allen. Oh, no. (laughs) Like the best offensive lineman of all time. It was – he just straight like – I mean, basically a one-hand punch just went wham and just drilled me, dude. It was crazy. (laughs) Story, though. No no, no big deal. About a 700-pound bench press guy. One of of the best offensive linemen ever – now, Ted, one more watch list. Your favorite, I'm assuming, I'm assuming, the Lou Groza 
watch list. Our man Burkich is on it, the swag master. Now, if he doesn't miss a kick again, I like his chances. I, I, I think he'll win it. Best way to win it is to never miss a field goal. I mean, that's, that's really um, – that's, it comes down to that with the, with the Groza Award. Who misses the least amount of field goals? Now, I, w- I wanted to ask you about this because I just kind of heard it in passing. I know nothing about it other than this statement that I heard, and I'll repeat this statement. I heard the Instagram or whatever video was doctored. No. Apparently, there's a, there's a conspiracy theory out there that there's something about the kick that was not legit. I know nothing else about it other than that, that same statement was passed on to me. I was hoping you may have heard something. No? It's easy. I'm going to ask him. <laughs> Dude, rumor that the kick, the, what was it, like the 70-something yarder, right? Yeah. That's the one you're talking about, I assume. I'll, I'll ask him. That's the real or fake bottom of this. I like it. That is a con- dude. If that video is fake, because OU fans were fired up about the, including me. Remember that was one where, oh, I, yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm going to end up being the second best game to play at OU. This is not okay. I um, I secretly watched it a bunch of times. I didn't want to tell anyone that I watched the kicker in a video kick a kick a 73 yard field goal on air a bunch, but I did. I watched it multiple times. I watched it 57 times. (laughs) Secretly later in life, I think you're going to be on your deathbed and you're going to turn, I'm going to come visit you and be like, man, I love you, dude. It's been such a good ride. And you're going to be like, Gabe, I actually love kickers. (laughs) It's like your dark secret you let out on your deathbed. Either that's going to happen or it's like, it's kind of the curse like whatever you hate the most is going to be um, it's going to be handed to you through your children. So like the natural thing is that my son wants to be a kicker, right? I mean, that's, that's how this ends up. Yeah, for sure. That would be, I think that's karma. That may be karma. That's right. Not sure. All right. Last thing when it comes to local college football, Teddy, have you seen this in this whole Chuba Hubbard situation? going on with his Twitter, you know, he deleted it. He's back. He put out a statement. I mean, what, I'm just curious, what, what did you think about this whole situation? Because he, he dipped his toe in the politics, right? He comes out, he calls out the Oklahoma County DA, David Prater. And it was about Prater clearing two police officers that killed a 17 year old last year. Now I think we can all agree the terrorism charges probably a little much, but I'm not sure Chuba knew what he was getting himself into, right? Because political Twitter is an absolutely different animal, man. And I, the one thing I hope, I, I hope he's okay because for a guy like that with his platform to come out and say, hey, I'm going to have to take a step back. I, I just hope the stuff that people said to him in his mentions, I hope it wasn't just absolutely horrible because you know people on twitter they'll they'll say the craziest shit to these kids yeah i you know i don't know a whole lot about the situation um i really don't know a whole lot about the 
the the incident that Chuba was really talking about, the two police officers that were cleared, I don't know a whole lot about that. Um, here's what I know. Right now, it's a pretty, there's an inflamed, um, there's, there's, there's really inflamed rhetoric going on across the country, and there's violence going on across the country. We've got, um, we've got riots with, with people that are uh, trying to firebomb federal courthouses and um, a, a federal judge family was just executed on the front doorsteps of her house. Okay, so what I know is whenever people start coming in to um, uh, whether it's politicians' offices or district attorneys or federal judges, whenever people start getting aggressive and coming into those buildings, they got to put a stop to it. And that's why I think the charges are, are what they are, because they've, they've got to send a message that this type of behavior, um, it really all needs to be toned way down. So that's why, that's what I would say about the charges being as strong as they are, because it, it, it's a scary situation out there right now. Now, I, Chuba's in a, he's in a unique situation. And I think a bunch of players, uh, no matter what sport, players and uh, anyone that's famous, uh, musicians, actors, actresses, whenever you've got a, a large following and you feel passionate about a certain situation, you feel like you've seen an injustice somewhere, you almost feel like, it's your your duty to call out any wrong that you see because you've got a large platform. And if you don't do that, well, that's that's you turning a blind eye to the situation. And, you know, I, I understand that feeling, but, you know, the forum typically is not Twitter. Right. There is, there is no discourse. There is... There's no room for any amount of uh, leeway one way or the other. You've got pretty much two camps that were, are firmly entrenched in, in what they believe. And in 240 characters, you're not going to change anyone's mind. So whenever you, you know, enter the fray, it's typically not going to come out well because no one can tell the entire story in 240 characters. So, I understand how he feels about it. I understand that he, he feels that he's got a platform and it's, it's his, um, his duty uh, with, with his beliefs to call it out. And I understand all that, but at the same time, I just, I just don't know that it's the right way. I don't know that social media is, is really made for the nuance of a lot of these discussions because a lot of these things, it, there is no black and white answer. A lot of it is really, really gray, right? And you know, I, that's why you've you've got a bunch of different people that people that see it differently and are very passionate about it because there are a lot of overlapping overlapping issues. And I don't even know what happened in this case, but um, typically, whenever you see something like this, there's a whole lot of gray area there. So I I, I don't know. I just know that. Rarely does it turn out well whenever you 
at least on social media, whenever you enter this, this type of discussion. Eh, Twitter's a reasonable place. Come on. <laughs> All right, Ted, let's move on to the National College Football News Roundup, and we are going to burn through these before we let you guys hear this interview from Phil Steele. Now, Teddy, remember that Ross Dellinger story we talked about last episode where anybody that's close to someone that tests positive has to quarantine for 14 mm-hmm. days, mandatory quarantine. Well, turns out that that includes practice collisions. So if a guy tests positive, every guy that he hit in a practice technically would have to quarantine for 14 days. Now people are talking about ways to get around it, right? Practicing in smaller groups. Maybe you go first stringers on third stringers, second stringers on fourth stringers. Listen, I'm all for all the creative ideas, but the bottom line is if a guy that tests positive hits someone and everyone he hits has to quarantine for 14 days. You can't play football. It, it's impossible, Teddy. Like it, I, I know you want to be careful, but this makes it essentially impossible to practice. And when you can't practice, you can't improve. You can't get your body ready to go for games. And that's how dudes get hurt. So I, I just don't see if that is going to be in place. I just don't see how it works. This is the first time where I've gone, yeah, there's no way. There's no way. And this is the NCAA's guidelines, right, that they released? This is, the, this is and reportedly will be in the Power Five's guidelines as well. Remember, that's what Dellinger was reporting. This is, in my opinion, the NCAA uh, – grabbing a grenade, pulling the pin, tossing it into a room and running away, right? <laughs> I mean, you can't play football with that, that, that line in the guidelines. You can't practice football. You can't play football. That's, I mean, you just can't do it. So I guess what we're saying is there's no bull in the ring drill this year. <laughs> well, I mean, just think about it. This would eliminate – probably one-on-ones between offensive linemen and defensive linemen because you don't want to run the risk. One-on-ones between defensive backs and wide receivers. Well, okay. I mean, I understand that theory, but if your first team tackle only goes against the third team tackle, I mean, or the third team defensive end, well, what if the third team defensive end is the guy that had the coronavirus? And if you just would have been going one-on-ones, you'd be fine right now. Yeah, I I just think if this thing gets put in place, there's no way. I mean that, and that's the first time I've said that, right? I've been pretty optimistic about this entire thing, but if this ends up being the protocol, right, that everyone has to follow, just just play it in the spring because that's ridiculous, man. That's it. You can't. One of the guidelines for playing football can't be hey, you can't do everything that's required in football. Like, the, the essential thing, hitting other human beings. Like, it, it just doesn't work. It, it's impossible. When you do tackling drills, for instance, in, in linebacker individual, you usually have two lines, and one guy's the ball carrier, one guy's the tackler, and you form up and wrap up each other, get a little bit of contact in there. 
I mean, one guy in a position group, even if you're not playing against, like, the first team left tackles playing against the third team defensive end, Gabe, whenever you guys practice combo drills an individual, how do you do it? Yeah. You, you double team a guy and then you go block another guy and everyone is hitting each other. <laughs> right. So the offensive line, if one guy's positive and you're and everyone that he's hit is also quarantined. Well, you've just quarantined the entire offensive line and linebacker would be the same thing. Defensive line. Cause that's how you do the drills. I mean, I, I don't know. It's that's what I'm saying. It's tossing a grenade in the room and running away. It's them saying without saying it, you can't play football this fall. Yeah, that's that's how I read it. I was like, oh, okay, so no football is one of the guidelines for playing football. Okay, makes sense. <laughs> All right, Ted, the SWAC announced that they are going to play football in the spring. They're going to go with what looks like an eight-week training camp starting in January, and then the plan is to play six conference games and give the option to play a non-conference game, and that'll start up in late February or early March. Now, this is not insignificant because we've seen other conferences postponed to the spring, but no one has presented a plan until the SWAC put their plan out this week. And let's not forget the SWAC, not exactly an insignificant league because they lead the FCS in attendance. Like when you talk about lower division college football, like, this is the conference so that people come out for the game. So I, I looked at the plan and it is kind of nice to see a blueprint from a conference that if worse comes worse, there's kind of a plan in place and hopefully people don't have to use this as a blueprint, but I don't know. It brought me a little comfort seeing the plan while I was like, okay, well, training camp's longer than the season. That would piss me off. But other than that, looks pretty good. Okay. Um, there's a couple of things whenever I, I saw this that just jumped out at me. The first thing that jumped out was who in the hell is the evil POS that said, let's have an eight-week training camp. <laughs> Right? Eight weeks of training camp is sounds like pure hell. Now, I would assume that is like OTA style to begin with. Like there's okay. a period and then like there's – I would assume there's a ramp-up period, right? You hear these the guys in the NFL wanting this ramp-up period. <laughs> I assume there's one of those would be built in for our friends in the SWAC. I hope they ramp up for six weeks and then have the two-week training camp because, uh, I mean, even six weeks, four weeks of training camp is a long time. Um, so that's the first thing that stuck out to me. Um, the second thing is this. Gabe, can you tell me when the height of the cold and flu season is? I'm going to guess somewhere in January or February when everyone is spending time inside. Yes, right during the middle of the eight-week training camp starting in January for the SWAC. Now, if we're in the middle of what's supposed to be the second wave or whatever we're going to call it, and they – I mean, we've fixed nothing 
even if they wait until the spring in the height of the cold and flu season, um, second wave of the coronavirus, if they're still saying everyone that hits in practice um, and there's a positive case, you have to quarantine. We've really fixed nothing. And it's going to be right in the height of the so-called second wave. Like they've pushed off from the, the bad time to the worst time. Where's the flaw? I, I don't understand. What's, what's the big deal? Yeah, I, I don't know. Ted, I, I guess they're just the hope. Work. Yeah, the hope, I guess, is the, the vaccine, right? The late fall, early 2021, the vaccine. That's what everyone's hoping uh, and trying to push this thing off as far as possible. Because if that does happen after, you know, you know, like I said, late fall, early, early 2021, then you feel a lot better about playing football at that point. So I think that's what they're banking on. Best of luck to our friends in the SWAC. Best of luck. I, I mean that sincerely. Now, West Virginia parted ways with defensive coordinator Vic Koning. If you remember – Kerry Martin Jr., a defensive back there at West Virginia, posted some stuff on his Twitter a month ago. He detailed some inappropriate comments Coning made, but Vic Coning's walking away with approximately $600,000 of the $1.1 million he was owed over the next two years. And it's just a reminder, Teddy, that coaches that have that old school mentality, right, they're just going to have to change their style. And I know some people out there see this and they go, well, this kid's just soft and kids are soft now. And whatever you want to call it, I don't think the, the day of coaches just verbally abusing players and walking all over them, I kind of think those days are over, man, because we, we've seen it. We've seen it throughout – the last couple of months that players are feeling more comfortable stepping up and saying something. And you see a guy like Vic Koning moving on from West Virginia and I, they, they didn't release the findings of their investigation or anything like that, which was kind of annoying. I'm not going to lie. I would have liked to see what turned up in that investigation, but it, I, I think coaches see this Teddy and they're going, you know what? I gotta, I gotta walk a care or I gotta, I gotta be careful with what I say. I have to be careful with what I say. I'm going to have to change my approach. Yeah. I, I think, you know, and, and probably my favorite guest we've had on the podcast, Cole Kublik, whenever we were talking about this, he said exactly what you said, Gabe dictatorships he thinks are over in college football. And um, he did the, the funny Jeremy Pruitt invest uh, in uh, impression. It's about relationships, Cole. That's all it is. And that's what it is now. I mean, you're, you're less of a, um, I don't, a dictator, I guess, is, you know, the only way to put it. Less of that and more of a friend, a mentor. Men and with mentor. Mentors. And, and you, you got to kind of guide these kids. Now, there's no doubt there's definitely times where you've got to be stern and there's going to be hard coaching going on, but, um, you know, because of the transfer rules and not just the transfer rules, right? Um, I think we can all agree flat out that 
any coach at any level should not be saying any racist stuff. Now, I don't get in to get into all the, the minutia here about what he said and what he didn't say. I don't really know about that, but I know that right now, if there's anything that's even borderline, you're going to be taken to task if your players don't love you, right? And there's some coaches that have said some things and there's some stuff that has gone on out there and the players have not come after that coach because they feel there's a really good relationship there. So that's kind of the thing. If you don't have a great relationship, your players don't look at you as a mentor. They look at you as a dictator and they ever have any opportunity to try and uh, tear things down. They're going to do it. And the other thing is you never know, like West Virginia may be looking at this thing and saying, you know, we were terrible last year defensively, like horrible. And uh, we got a chance to get out of this thing a little bit cheap and maybe go find something a little bit better for our football team. It, that's a theory, but then you remember that Neil Brown brought Coning with him from Troy. So, I mean, that's one they're of boys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're boys. So, I don't know, but just thought it was really interesting. Uh, next on the roundup, Teddy, Mac Brown. We all love Mac Brown now, right? It's kind of fun watching him succeed at North Carolina. He's cre- cleaning up on the recruiting trail. But he said his staff is going to wear face shields and use sticks to make sure they are staying six feet away from their players during enhanced training camp workouts that start Friday. My only thought, I cannot wait for a picture of Mac Brown in a face shield. I don't know if the stick will be attached to him, if he'll be holding it. I Like, for some reason, you know alignment sticks in golf, like, that you use on the driving range? I just imagine him having four alignment sticks, like, front, back, and then on both hips, like, keeping everyone six feet away from him. I don't know that's why I think that's what's going to happen. But I'm so excited for these pictures and this footage. Like, I, I, it's what I'm looking forward to the most on Friday, legitimately. I can't wait for these pictures of Mac Brown. It's, it's going to be fascinating because whenever I first saw this and read it, I thought, hmm, now that's going to be interesting for a, uh, a passerby to take a glance over there and look at North Carolina football practice. And there's a bunch of guys walking around with the plastic face shields on and holding sticks it's going to look like a protest, okay? The last people I saw wearing face shields and sticks were police riot gear guys, okay? So it's just going to be a strange look whenever you see them walking around. All the coaches are going to have sticks in the, in the plastic face shield on. It's going to be weird. It, I, I just wonder, are they going to hit anyone with the sticks? Because, like, you know, like, when you get a stick in your hand – you know how men are like, it's just natural to whack someone with it. Like they're a human pinata. So that's going to happen. Like there's a chance that happens. Gabe, if, okay. Yeah. You hit someone with it. Here's the other thing. If you and I are on the field together, you're a coach. I'm a coach. You've got a stick. I've got a stick. What's the natural thing to do? A sword fight. Yeah. Lightsabers. (laughs) Lightsabers. <laughs> exactly. So I imagine that's going to be taking place too. And um, I would say somewhere 
uh, I'm talking from the opening whistle. You know, the first whistle in practice. First whistle. I'll give it from the first whistle. I'll, I'll go 45 seconds. <laughs> 45 seconds from the first whistle until a coach and a player break the six feet social distancing. And they're just like, oh, I forgot. Sorry. Oh, dang it. Oh, crap. Yeah. And it's going to happen continuously. It, um, actually, I think that's probably only going to be, you know, the when the quarterbacks are out there warming up and the field goal guys are kicking and then the offensive line's over there doing their punch drills when the media's taking pictures, that's the only time they're going to have the sticks and doing the six feet social distancing. As soon as those guys leave, game on. The 12 minutes of media availability or whatever. Right. There, there probably won't even be media availability, if we're being honest, this year. True. Something to think about. All right, Ted, now Friday is an important day because the NCAA Board of Governors has a big meeting. In that meeting, they could decide to postpone or cancel the championships for fall sports. Now, the NCAA, remember, they can't postpone the college football playoff because they don't run the college football playoff. But them postponing or canceling all the other sports championships would put FBS football in a really, really tough spot, which is why Shane Lyons, who is the head of the NCAA Football Oversight Committee and also the athletic director at West Virginia, he sent the NCAA Board of Governors a letter asking them to hold off on making any sort of big decision on Friday. He's begging them to wait till the last moment to decide on these things. And we talked about it earlier. I, I think that's the right apo- approach. And kind of this whole time I've been like, there needs to be a plan. They need to figure this out. Like they need to let people know what's going to happen. But at this point, I'm starting to shift. I'm starting to go, you, you wait till the last minute till you pull the plug on this thing or you give the green light. I, I just think that's where we're at, right? Yeah, I mean, I always use the reference of Back to the Future 3. Once you pass the, uh, the last water tower, it's too late to stop the train, right? You've already thrown in the third log. Uh, you can no longer soft, uh, uh, safely stop the train. We're past that point, okay? I'd say the, the water tower was early July and now we're uh, barreling towards the huge ravine and we got to hit 88 miles per hour. And so at this point, there is no safe stop. We're either going to hit 88 miles per hour and go safely across the bridge, or we're going to go careening into the ravine. So I'm with you. Let's just hold off and see what happens. And here's the other thing. And that's back to future (laughs) announcements by Teddy Lehman. (laughs) Uh, I hope Shane Lyons also had a footnote in there to the NCAA about getting back to OU and their petition to the NCAA to play their game in week zero because we still haven't heard anything. But just maybe a chance, Gabriel, we could be starting today. Today. Practice today. Come on, baby. Come on. I think there's a chance, baby. I think it may be happening. You know something. I know you know something. I can, ju- I, can he- I can hear it in your voice. I can see it on your face. You know something. Tell us. Mm-mm. 
just hoping the NCAA gets off their butt and does it, and we get a huge one extra day of practice. Yeah, right? huge. <laughs> now, one thing that comes out every year that I always look forward to, and I love seeing it come out this year because it did bring a sense of normalcy, kind of, and that is Bruce Feldman's freaks list. Now, he writes for The Athletic. He's on the Audible podcast there with Stuart Mandel with The Athletic. But he came out with the 2020 freaks list. Basically, he outlines the freakiest athletic dudes in all of college football. So go check that list out. It's a lot of fun. And he spotlights just some absolute freaks of nature. I mean, really. But the interesting thing about this year's list, no OU guys. No OSU guys, only two Big 12 guys in the list of 50, and they're both at TCU. He had Ardarius Washington, the safety from TCU, uh, as the 23rd freakiest guy in college football. And then he had Trayvon Morig, who is a stud of a safety there at TCU. He had him 33rd. So I don't know if Benny Wiley and Rob Glass just didn't send their guys' numbers in or what. They've, they've got to have one guy that belongs on this list. Well, there's no doubt. And you don't even have to send in any numbers. Trey Brown, and you saw it last year in the Big 12 Championship, whenever he chased down uh, the cat from – was it um, – uh, Yeah. Sprinter. Yeah. Is, is, was legitimately a college sprinter. Yeah. He chases him down from behind, and I think it was Pro Football Focus put out that his his speed, his GPS speed, was like the fastest they've ever recorded, like miles per hour wise. Hold on, is fastest ever recorded? Is that good? Uh, it sounds freaky good to me. <laughs> did so, it. I thought Trey Brown should have been on this list. Um, I thought it was a you know he put out the the tweet the other day about the all big 12 list. He's tired of being overlooked. I thought he was overlooked here too. Yeah. But there, there's some, probably the one that stood out to me. There's some lineman from Northern Iowa. Oh my gosh. Go read about that guy. He's like six, nine, three twenty-five, and just like jacked. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty impressive. All right, Ted, Phil Steele produces what a lot of people call the college football Bible. Now he joined us for an interview. Now it's going to be a little different because you're only going to hear me because Teddy was busy with one of his, what, 17, 18 other jobs, Ted? It's, it's the off season. It's only five right now. Five, only five. But Teddy did send me some really good questions to ask Phil Steele. I just didn't tell Phil that they were from Teddy. I took all the credit for every single question. Phil was like, man, you're on your game today, Gabe. These are good. I was coming from everywhere, every angle, baby. But this interview is brought to you by Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. As schools look to reopen in the fall, parents want to provide the best possible educational experience and spiritual development for their children. There's no better place for that than Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. A one-to-one -one iPad setting makes Bishop McGinnis students fully prepared to continue high-level learning from home. A 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio guarantees no student is overlooked. In addition to athletic programs and clubs, Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. Financial aid is available. For more information, visit bmchs.org. All right, here's Phil Steele. 
it is our pleasure to be joined by the godfather of college football. He has produced the go-to college football preview magazine for what, the last 22 years, Phil? 26 years. Oh, my gosh. Makes, makes me feel a little old, though, Gabe. <laughs> Phil Steele is in the house. Now, Phil, first and foremost, how can people get their hands on the magazine? I've got mine right in front of me. Just got it in the mail. So I want to make sure that all the college football fans that listen to our podcast can go out there and get it. I appreciate that, Gabe. And you can order it online at philsteel.com. And if you order today, uh, generally we ship today as long as it's early in the day. Uh, and that is philsteel.com. And it goes out priority mail, so you'll have it in your hands in one to three days. Or if you like, uh, now we, we're limiting distribution this year. In years past, we've been everywhere. But we, as opposed to printing 200,000 magazines like we normally do, I cut it down to 50,000 this year. And it's exclusively at Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. So if you go to a Barnes & Noble or a Books A Million, you could pick it up. You go to any of those other places that you've usually picked up the magazine in the past, it won't be there. It's going to be at Barnes & Noble, Books A Million exclusively, or head over to philsteel.com. Well, uh, I'm sure that everyone's going to be trying to get their hands on it since you limited it a little bit. Now, how was it putting the magazine together this year? Phil, I can only imagine how challenging it has been with all the coronavirus stuff going on. Has it been the most difficult it's ever been for you and your team to put this magazine together? Yeah, definitely. In fact, normally we send the magazine to the press at the end of May, uh, religiously. At the end of every year, it's that last weekend of May, we send it. That way we can be in the in all the bookstores and across the country before July 4th. But this year, I'm sitting in an empty office in March, Gabe, because uh, the, the state of Ohio shut down, couldn't even bring the staff in, wow. and just working on, the, working on the magazine by myself, wondering if we're even going to put it out. Then they relaxed it, was able to bring the staff back, started firing up those coaches' phone calls, and the coaches were very receptive. I guess they had extra time on their hands. So I talked to about 110 of the head coaches out there this year, going over every team with them. The coaches' calls generally take about an hour, go over every player on every position and, and get them all up to date and in line for the magazine. So the information is the same as it's been every past year. I'm very pleased, very uh, happy with the way the magazine has turned out, but it did take us longer to do it and we printed fewer magazines. Those are probably the two major things this year. Now, when you were talking to coaches, you know, about their guys, I feel like you always get such great tidbits through those conversations. And that's why sometimes uh, I, I pay close attention to your depth charts in the magazine, because a lot of the times it turns out being that way, even when some other things may be getting reported. So without spring ball, were the coaches able to give you that same insight that you're able to gather normally? I would say for the most part, Gabe, the couple of coaches that weren't able to give me their normal insight would be like a Nick Rolovich who went from Hawaii to Washington State, didn't have the benefit of any spring practices. He was still learning his team. Now he knew so, you know, some of the players been in Zoom meetings, things like that, but I'd never seen the guys on the field. So when I had a, a Nick Rolovich conversation at Hawaii, sometimes they took up to two hours just 
chit-chatting about every last player on the team. This year, there wasn't as much knowledge on his part of the players. So those would be the ones that it was maybe a little less of. But for the most part, Gabe, the coaches were like, you know what? We went through off-season conditioning. We were ready for spring practice to start. And so the only thing that might have changed was maybe that redshirt freshman's not going to be able to jump up and beat out a senior this year because he didn't get in 15 spring practices. That was probably the main change. But for the most part, experienced coaches with their teams pretty much knew what was going to happen when the season starts. All right, Phil, I definitely want to get to some Big 12 football with you. Uh, More specifically, let's start with Oklahoma. Now, some people, they they may have concerns for the Sooners, you know, have to replace some big-time players, right? Jalen Hurts, CeeDee Lamb on the offensive side of the ball. But you seem to think they'll be just fine. Is that just your faith in Lincoln Riley, Phil? Well, that and the players that are on the field as well. It's a good team. And, you know, you look at the quarterback situation. I know it's not a transfer quarterback like they've had, but, you know, last year Jalen Hurts came in. It was his first year in the Lincoln-Riley system. So he had to pick that up in a hurry. And then he was also known more as a runner than a passer. He's a very effective passer. I mean, I'm not going to say Jalen Hurts can't throw the football. You don't hit 60 uh, 68% or 69% of your passes with a 32A ratio not being a good passer. But Spencer Rattler, who I expect to win the job, is a very good passer. And I, it's his second year in the system. He got his feet wet last year. So that's a plus. I think the biggest, the two biggest areas which I like most about Oklahoma this year is, number one, the offensive line. Remember last year they had one returning starter on the offensive line. Well, this year Oklahoma has everybody back. They have my number two rated offensive line in the country. And Bill Budenbaugh one of the best offensive line coaches out there. So that's going to be a dynamic offensive line. And then defensively, now naturally Oklahoma and defense haven't really gone together the last two or three years. I think this is a potential top 20 defense. Uh, They showed improvement last year. They got Ronnie Perkins back at the defensive end spot. Deshaun White, a linebacker. Caleb Kelly, uh, Brendan Radley-Hiles. They've got talent there. Trey Brown, a cornerback, could be a shutdown corner. I like the overall talent of the defense. And that talent on the defense and potential for that to be a top 20 defense molded with the offense really makes Oklahoma a threat this year and hey let's get Lincoln Riley not only in the playoff this year but let's get him to win a playoff game or two huh (laughs) yeah you're you're preaching to the choir Phil now you mentioned that defense and and you see the potential Uh, I think forcing more turnovers is something that Alex Grinch and that defensive staff is really going to be focused on And a lot of that has to do with getting to the quarterback, right, Phil? And you mentioned Ronnie Perkins. Now, I I just have to ask, you've only got one cover this year. It's got four players on it, and Ronnie Perkins is one of them. How do you decide who goes on the cover, and why did you decide that Ronnie Perkins deserved that honor, Phil? Well, I think when you look at Ronnie Perkins last year, he showed uh, a lot of good signs of being a guy that's going to be highly productive this year. And I think in this defense, he's going to be highly productive. And, you know, he became more physical, I thought, as the season went on last year. The guy's got NFL potential, and uh, he's very athletic. And he really fits the system extremely well. So I think he's going to be the impact player on defense. And when I do my cover, I generally go with the four teams that I'm projecting to be, the national cover that is, that I'm projecting to be in the playoff. And I have Oklahoma in the playoff. So I want to select one player and 
his picture was better than Creed Humphrey, so I went with his. You know? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. wait, wait, you're telling me my man Creed could have been on the com- uh, could have been on the cover, but he just didn't have a flattering enough picture. Yeah, it's something like that, possibly. Yeah, but uh, no, Ronnie Perkins definitely deserves to be on the cover. Yeah, I think a lot of people. We'll see what happens with that suspension, but a lot of people, a lot of OU fans, expecting a big year from Ronnie Perkins. Now, your Big Twelve Conference forecast, uh, I found it very interesting because you do have Texas coming in in second in the Big Twelve Conference behind Oklahoma but in front of Oklahoma State. Now, when you look at Texas and Oklahoma State, both eight and five football teams last year, Phil, what gave the Longhorns the edge over the Oklahoma State Cowboys in your mind? And keep in mind, both teams were fairly young last year. Uh, Texas, you know, despite Sam Ellinger saying that we're back at the end of the bowl game. He's never going to live that down, is he? Oh, my gosh. No, he is not. He is not. But they only had five returning starters on offense and three on defense. And then if you're following this team midseason, their back seven got ripped apart by injuries. I mean, they started 10 10 different defensive backs last year. That's if you have that kind of turnover, you're going to give up some points. They gave up points with only three returning starters and a banged-up defense. But this year, the defense is in much better shape. they got nine starters back, and all those guys that started last year, the bulk of them are back. So, you know, when you go to your second stringer this year, he's probably a guy with four starts under his belt now because of last year's injuries. Offensively, Sam Ellinger's back at QB. Uh, I like the running back core even deeper than last year. Remember last year at the start of the year? It was basically Keontae Ingram, then Rashawn Johnson, the converted quarterback, started to emerge, and then they had two guys. But they're deeper this year. They even have a, a B. John Robinson coming in uh, at the, as a true freshman added to the mix. The receiving core, uh, I'm concerned about losing Duvernay and Johnson, but they look pretty solid, and the offensive line looks good. So this Texas team, much more experienced than last year's Texas team. They go from 92 on my experience chart all the way up to number 34, and uh, I think they are a legitimate threat this year. And then with Oklahoma State, you know, they're a team where Mike Gundy got himself some Christmas presents when Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace both turned down the NFL. You take those two and you add them to a Spencer Sanders who was thrown into the mix as a freshman quarterback last year. Did well, got injured late and uh, missed the last three, four games of the season. But Sanders is back with experience. Chuba's back. Wallace is back. They got Stoner at receiver. And that defense last year was extremely young. But now 10 starters back on defense. So they're, they're going to actually have a little bite on defense as well. I think those three right there are arguably the most talented teams in the Big 12 and your three most legitimate contenders. So why do you think now now this is this is very interesting to me because clearly Texas has all this talent, right? Just as much talent, uh, maybe a little less than Oklahoma in the Big 12, but what do you think has been the issue? for Texas. So why do you think that they have not gotten the results with that kind of talent that they've had, Phil? Well, you know, two years ago, they finished number nine in the country. So that wasn't bad, but it wasn't Oklahoma's level. And I just think that Tom Herman stepping into the situation, it was going to take him a few years to get there. Now, Lincoln Riley had been at Oklahoma prior to him being elevated to the head coach. And I do think Oklahoma's talent level was still a notch or two ahead of uh, Texas's, but uh, Texas has talent, and now they've got experience, something they really lacked last year. So I think you're going to see a much better year out of Texas. Yeah, I think 
I think there's some high expectations. And like you mentioned, uh, a lot of veteran players and with how weird this offseason has been in college football, uh, I think a team like Texas could have a big advantage. Now, you, you mentioned Oklahoma State and, and that offense. What are kind of your expectations for Spencer Sanders? Because clearly he's got the weapons around him with Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace coming back. They've got some other explosive weapons. I mean, what, what do you think is a realistic expectation for Spencer Sanders in his second year as a starter, Phil? Well, I like the fact they hired Tim Rattay as the, the new quarterback coach. I think Rattay is going to do a good job with him. Uh, I think Sanders does have to make better decisions this year. You go back to last year, while he threw 16 touchdown passes, he had 11 interceptions. I watched a couple games. There were some dropped interceptions. Those numbers could even have been a little worse. But he was a freshman quarterback, first-time starter. So you expect uh, a much bigger year out of Spencer Sanders. Is he going to put up uh, numbers like Spencer Rattler? No, he's not this year. Rattler's actually going to have the better season, even though he's a freshman. It's just that Lincoln Riley offense is dynamic. But uh, I think he's going to have a good year. I wouldn't put him in the top you know, 10 quarterbacks in the country, but a much improved year over last year. Yeah, I think – I think he's got all the talent in the world and just needs to learn, like you said, take care of the football. Now, one of my favorite things in the preview magazine every year, Phil, is your list of surprise teams for this season because you have been ridiculously accurate on some of them. And usually the ones that maybe get derailed are just due to big time injuries for teams. So give me a couple of your surprise teams for 2020 and do any of those happen to be here in the big 12 conference? Uh, well, there's one that automatically from the big 12, anytime Gary Patterson has a losing season, I'm going to put TCU on my list. And the last, I mean, they, he doesn't have losing seasons very often. And the last two times Gary Patterson came off a losing season, he had 11 win year the next year and almost made the playoff. You go back to 2014. That was a year where they felt they got jobbed out of a playoff and then 2017 was a the year they were going along well, but lost to Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game, then lost the bowl, but had their opportunities if they won the Big 12 title game to have potentially made it. Now, I'm not saying they have the talent necessarily to be up there, but with his past history coming off a losing season, I do like the overall talent they have. I, I thought they had one of the best defenses in the Big 12 clearly last year. It's between TCU and Baylor, and there were days where TCU clearly had the better defense. So I, I think they have a dangerous defense. Max Dugan is a quarterback that now has experience they've got three really good running backs i like zach evans coming in there the true freshman i think that's going to be a plus but they also have barlow and foster the redshirt freshman and uh, coach patterson feels that those three running backs right there are among the best group in the country the key to tcu is going to be their offensive line they lose uh, four starters off the offensive front but patterson's had good success with that so that's why tcu snuck in there and made my surprise team list but uh we'll give you two teams that i think really have a shot at contending for the playoffs spot that make the top two teams on my surprise team list. And the first one, uh, Miami of Florida. And you're going to say, hey, Miami is six and seven last year for crying out loud. But what was Miami's problem last year? Well, Miami's problem was quarterback play. Now they add in De'Ara King, and I'm sure you're familiar with De'Ara King at Houston. Did a fantastic job there. That's a great upgrade at the uh, quarterback position. And then you look at this team defensively. They were good on defense last year, and they had 
one of the best defensive ends in the country and Gregory Rousseau. I believe he had 15 sacks or something like that. He's coming back. And then they add in Quincy Roche from Temple, who is the American Conference Defensive Player of the Year with 13 sacks, and he's immediately eligible. So you got Roche and Rousseau on the outside of defensive end with a combined 28 sacks last year and that normally good defense for Miami. And then you look at their schedule, very manageable this year. So I think Miami could sneak in there. And then my number one surprise team this year, Gabe, uh, is Jimbo Fisher in Texas A&M. And they're a team that, when I talked to Coach Fisher last year and was going over the team with them, two things stood out. Number one, they had a brutal schedule. And as oh. it turns out, they took on yeah they, they took on three number one ranked teams. They took on Clemson when they were number one ranked, Bama when they were number one ranked, and LSU when they were number ranked. They also took on a number four and a number eight ranked team. The other thing that stood out to me was they had very few seniors on that team. Uh, Gabe and Texas A&M with that young of a team against that schedule you'd expect them to lose how many games Uh, five guess what they lost five games but I told coach Fisher at the end of the conversation last year I said coach I'm going to put you on my national cover now next year when the schedule gets easier and now you're experienced and this year how about 17 returning starters led by Kellen Mond who I think is going to have a great year I think he really emerges one of the top quarterbacks in the SEC this year they have my number 12 ranked offensive line number 11 ranked defense defensive line and the schedule they may play one top 10 team this year now it is Bama it is on the road but LSU had to do the same thing last year so add it all up my number one surprise team or team that won't be ranked in the top 10 that I think can uh, potentially make the playoff it's Texas A&M yeah so you, you do the surprise teams you also do the most improved lists Is there a team maybe outside the Power Five? And I know it seems unrealistic. We saw UCF a couple years ago try to make the argument to get in the playoff. But do you think there's any team maybe kind of off the radar, maybe not necessarily outside of the Power Five, but off the radar that could slip in to a college football playoff scenario? Yeah, a group of five team that I would consider this year is one I wasn't very high on last year. I mean, UCF was coming off all these undefeated seasons. Everybody just automatically picked UCF number one. Last year, I picked Cincinnati to win their division over UCF. And Cincinnati did win the division. Cincinnati played in the CUSA title game. But UCF is loaded. I mean, this team has got 16 returning starters. Dylan Gabriel now has experience at QB. I love the skill players. McCray, Anderson, Nixon. I mean, they're loaded out there. The offensive line is solid. Defensively, they're going to have five. When the Senior Bowl announces its watch list, they're going to have five defensive backs on the Senior Bowl watch list. That tells you how much NFL-caliber talent is in that secondary. The defensive line looks solid. And here's another thing, and the reason I think they might have a shot Last year when I ranked the conferences, I actually ranked the American Conference the fifth toughest conference in college football over the ACC. This American's good football, and they've got 16 returning starters if they were able to get past the Memphis and the Cincinnati and the SMU, which was 10-3 and last year, and a Navy, which was 11-2 and last year, and actually win that conference. I think they would gain a lot of credibility. They also have a couple of ACC teams on the schedule, which I know they're hoping to play. If they play a team like North Carolina week one, and then North Carolina goes on and wins that Coastal, that gives them uh, more credibility as well. So I think if you're going to see a group of five teams sneak in, UCF would be my candidate. And I think this is, it's clearly Josh Heupel's best team he's put on the field. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if UCF can do it again, Phil. Now, I was looking, I was reading through the magazine yesterday, 
and I looked at your toughest conference rankings, and I always find it very interesting, right? Because this is a discussion that, you know, people in college football media talk about all the time. And I could be crazy, but did I see that you have the ACC ranked ahead of the Big 12? Phil, that's going to make some of the listeners of this podcast very upset. Yeah, and and I, 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 you know, like you said, last year I ranked the ACC the sixth best conference in college football. Last year, I'm going to ask you a question, Gabe. Last year it was Clemson, the Grand Canyon. Who was the second best team in the ACC last year? What Virginia? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you you couldn't really make a case for a second best team in the ACC, and that's why I ranked them the sixth best conference last year. But I tell you what, Gabe, take a look at this coastal division. It's the most improved division in college football, starting with North Carolina. Last year, they were number 103 on my experience chart. Now they're number 30. It's Mac Brown's second season, 17 returning starters. They've got a guy in Sam Howell, a quarterback, who's going to be one of the best in the country. They're deep at running back with Michael Carter, Javante Williams. Defensive line's got some studs like Chaz Surratt at the linebacker spot. And remember last year, they almost knocked off Clemson. They missed a two-point conversion at the end of the game. So watch out for North Carolina. Now, I touched earlier on Miami. I won't go into that again completely, but adding Dierra King, adding Quincy Roche to a team that's much more veteran than last year with the schedule you could see Miami winning double digit wins this year how about Virginia Tech Justin Fuente has 18 returning starters this year practically the whole team is back and last year they started out slow then they inserted Hendon Hooker a quarterback and their offense got a lot more potent the second half of the year Hooker's back. The majority of the defense is back. I remember going through the defense with uh, Coach Bud Foster two years ago, and they were extremely young and extremely thin. And then they lost top players to injury. They gave up 439 yards per game. Well, even though they lose Bud Foster, talking to Justin Hamilton this year, the new D.C., they've got 10 returning starters. They are loaded on defense. And speaking of defense, how about Pitt? You know, Pat Narduzzi had a good defense last year, and he probably thought he was going to lose three guys in the NFL this year. Patrick Jones, their defensive end. Jalen Twyman at nose tackle, strong safety Paris Ford, all figured to go to the NFL. They all returned. So those three guys are back. Plus, last year, prior to the season, he lost his top defensive end, Richard Weaver, to injury. He lost his top defensive tackle, Keyshawn Camp, to injury. Those guys are both back, along with Twyman and Jones up front, along with the secondary. They may have the best safety combination in the country in Ford and Hamlin. And Narduzzi's been telling me for three years, he really thinks Kenny Pickett's going to end up playing in the NFL. So if Kenny Pickett finally lives up to that billing, they get good quarterback play, and Pitt could be a surprise and then talking to a guy like Bronco Mendenhall uh, he's he's like well he wasn't liking the fact but he's pointed out that he, he feels this they won the conference last year or won the division last year he likes the defense and yes their offense was Bryce Perkins last year but he likes Brennan Armstrong and Keaton Thompson it's a Virginia team that's going to uh, be tough so that's a vastly improved division a vastly improved conference I actually think they could give Clemson a game in the ACC title game this year which I, I wouldn't have said that last and did not say it last year Well, so you're telling me that the ACC, we can't make fun of them for just being Clemson anymore. Is that what you're telling me, Phil? Come on, man. It's fun when we get to make fun of the ACC. It is. And I made fun of them last year. Like I said, (laughs) who was the number two team last year? You couldn't even pick out one that you would put. I mean, they just were – Oh, I, I ranked it. It was the first time ever in my magazine, Gabe, that I ranked a group of five conference ahead of a power five conference. I put the American fifth, the ACC six last year, but it is a different ball game out there this season. Now, 
Phil, I've, I've waited as long as I can. You know, I wanted to talk football, and there's no one that has, you know, the wealth of knowledge that you do about all these teams. But if they end up having to push the season to the spring, how does that change your rankings? How does that change everything, the projections? It, it seems like that would just completely mix things up for you. Well, first of all, Gabe, we're playing fall football. So Let's somebody go. has to be optimistic on here. Let's go, Phil. I love it. Let's go, man. There we go. And if if something drastic happened, like it would change things. I mean, you know, Clemson wouldn't have uh, Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence. Those guys would be holding out for the NFL draft, which would be around. Uh, but I'm not even thinking that happened. We're playing football in the fall, Gabe, and I'm excited about it. I like it. Now, one last question. I've always been curious about how you project success for players that haven't played. Is it based simply on conversations with the coaches and kind of the coaches track record? How much do you use recruiting rankings? Because you've got all this information you gather and put together, and then you're basically making predictions on players that we haven't even seen, Phil. So what is that process like? Yeah, it, it's a combination of, of all of that. And you go back to, uh, you know, like when Trevor Lawrence signed at uh, Clemson uh, two years ago as a true freshman. And I actually projected him as a starting quarterback that year. And, uh, you know, everybody else had their, their returning uh, quarterback, Brian, as the starter. And uh, I just looked at the talent, and I'm like, wow, this this is almost like generational talent, which is why everybody was talking about his first team. And I, and I asked offense coordinator, uh, you know, Jeff Scott, how they progress in the spring, you know, does and, you know, he said he had a chance to be the, in there. And I'm like, well, I, I like his chances, and then opted to go with it. So it's, it's part what the coach says, you know, but a lot of times the coaches are not going to tell you to start a freshman over a veteran returning starter. And I do take some chances sometimes times based on the talent that I see and uh, from what I've heard about the player. He is Phil Steele. Go get the magazine. Phil Steele's college football preview is out. Go get it at Books A Million. Go get it at Barnes & Noble. Go get it on philsteele.com and definitely go follow Phil on Twitter at philsteele042. Phil, Thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. There's no one that does college football information better than you, man. I always enjoy talking football with you, Gabe. It was a, a lot of fun on on your podcast today. And we should do this. Well, let's do it mid-season this fall, uh, you know, sometime in October maybe when the season's halfway over. I love that. It's a date, buddy. I'm, I'm writing it in <laughs> Sharpie now. Thanks, Phil. All right. Sounds great, Gabe. Have a good one, my friend. Thanks to Phil Steele for joining us, Teddy. I, I don't know how a human being fits that much college football knowledge inside his head. I, I mean, it's unbelievable, dude. I mean, he's he's incredibly. Uh, he, he's got all these uh, facts and little um, knickknacks about every single team. I mean, you know, we do we do the Big Twelve and mainly focus on Oklahoma and it's hard enough to to keep all that in line just with you know 10 teams trying to do it with every single squad and all of division one football it's pretty tough but he does a fantastic job 
Yeah, he's he's amazing. It's it's my favorite preview magazine. So go get your hands on it. I'm looking at mine right now. Look at that brand cover, baby. OU represented. Let's go. Yeah, like it. Ted, let's move on to our segments, and it's Thursday, so you know we got to wet the beak just just a little bit, and let's do it with the NBA bubble. We've been having a lot of fun with the bubble talk, so. Shams, who continues to just crush the scoop game, put it out there that zero NBA players tested positive for coronavirus out of 346 that were tested at the Orlando campus since the last results were announced. That is one hell of a successful bubble. I mean, that is literally, it it couldn't be going better for the NBA People were so worried about these guys and that they wouldn't be able to figure it out, that they all would act up and just be ridiculous. But like Stephen Adams said this week, the bubble there in Orlando is not Syria. They, they can do a lot of things. <laughs> I thought that quote was unbelievable. But we saw some scrimmages Wednesday. And it was so much fun to watch guys compete, play basketball, and Holy shit, does Bull Bull look fantastic. Blocking shots, running the floor, hitting pull-up threes. I remember when the draft was going, I was like, please slip to the thunder. Please slip to the thunder. <laughs> he didn't, but I, he was the most impressive guy. I was, I was like, man, I want that guy on our team. Where was it? Did he go to Oregon? Is that? Yeah. Where was, yeah, he was, he was – uh... Highly saw. I remember watching him in high school and whenever he was a pretty highly touted recruit dribbling down and pulling up and looking like an absolute freak show out there with a bunch of high school kids. But uh, no, it's fun to watch him. Steven Adams is the gift that keeps on giving. I don't know what was better. The, uh, the bubbles, not Syria quote, or when he was talking about what he's going to do for his birthday and uh, go have a feed. I mean, is, <laughs> is that the funniest thing ever? <laughs> such a Steven Adams thing is to say um he's awesome I I hope he I hope he plays his entire career in Oklahoma City and I know it's rare in today's NBA for a guy to stick around in one spot for an entire career but please I I mean he he's so much fun and he seems to just represent Oklahoma City right just working hard kind of fun loving I I love that guy and they need to interview him more. They should interview him every day because, number one, he's got a ton of basketball knowledge. But, number two, he is absolutely hilarious. Yeah. The funniest thing about him is that he's maybe the only normal person down there, like, personality-wise. He he talks and acts like just any normal run-of-the-mill uh, person. But, yeah, he's uh, over seven foot tall and an absolute freak. But – Uh, The funny thing is he's 27. It seems like he's been with the Thunder for 10 years now. It's crazy, and he just turned 27. He's going to make playing basketball. I mean, he already has, but he's he's not going to get a giant contract with how the league has changed since he got into it. But One question for you. Ooh. Zero tests or zero positive tests out of 346 tested at – the Orlando campus. Now, let's say you're working at Eichard Labs down there in Orlando, and you are doing the testing 
for the NBA's bubble players and staff and everyone down there. Now, whenever I come to you with the big tray full of all uh, the 346 samples, how much cash does it take me to slip you in order to get back zero positives? Now, who is slipping me the cash? Do I, am I, am I familiar with their salary? <laughs> because if it's a player, then it's a hell of a lot. I mean, we're talking, we may be talking six figures. If I'm risking my job, I mean, you're going to, you're going to break me off a good piece. You know what I'm saying? The but, NBA is trying to save uh, billions of dollars here. And a couple of positive tests could sink the entire ship. All I'm saying, just throwing out a theory, man. It's like, I'm not saying that they didn't have zero positives. I'm not saying anything. I'm just just saying, Gabe, just saying. You want to run to the kitchen real quick and grab your tinfoil hat? <laughs> yeah. I, I just, like, some guys are going to test positive throughout. Like, if they go zero from, like, now until, like, they're able to hammer through this entire thing and never have a positive test, I'll be saying, dude, there's no way that that's possible. But right now, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. So let's look at these odds from betonline.ag. And it's pretty simple, Ted. It's a yes or no. Will the NBA regular season restart on time? Minus 400 for yes, plus 250 for no. It's a, it's a pretty straightforward question, bud. If you said it's only six figures to pay off the testing guy, then I'm saying yes, 100%. It's going to be on time. That's an easy payment. No, I think so, dude. They're, they're down there, and it's going really well. I mean, there were some early hiccups with some, you know, the uh, snitch line, and there's been some guys have to leave. and Dwight Howard at that DJ party by himself. <laughs> right. But I think – for the most part, after maybe a little rough entry there, I think everyone's kind of settled in and it's gone really good. I'm saying yes. Uh, just a reminder, the restart kicks off on July 30th, and the Pelicans are supposed to be part of that, playing the Jazz, along with the Lakers playing the Clippers. And there's been a report that although Zion is outside of the bubble, he has been getting tested every day and has been testing negative every day and has been isolating Ted. So our theory that there's no way they're going to make him quarantine when he gets back to the bubble. I think, I think we were right, man. I think he's going to play. I, I really do. I think he's going to play on July 30th. There's no doubt in my mind. They, they need him. Well, they don't need him. I mean, everyone's going to be so damn excited for the NBA to be back, but the reason there's 22 teams there is because of Zion Williamson. So I, I just can't imagine he doesn't play in that first game because remember, it's literally the first game. It's 5.30 Central. It's the first game back. They want Zion in that game so bad, and it sounds like they're doing what needs to be done to make sure that he's going to be playing in that one. Quarantine for thee, but not for me. I, I mean, I'm with you. I want to see Zion play. I, I do. And I honestly think 
of course they should bend the rules for the guy that everyone's wanting to see right now. Of course they can. But Gabe, don't you know how this movie ends? We've seen it a million times. <laughs> you, you let him in without the same quarantine rules as everyone else, and he gets the entire uh, – who do they play? The Jazz. He gets everyone on the Jazz sick. He gets everyone on the Pelicans sick, all because they bent the rules. It happens in every infectious disease movie. Zion Williamson, super spreader, a 30 for 30. <laughs> Can't you just see him out there, uh, uh, you know, rubbing his nose and stuff during the game? <laughs> Rudy Gobert's looking at him like, oh, no. I've seen this movie before. <laughs> it's like, All right, Ted, let's move on to our winners and losers of the week. And those are brought to you by Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. They're licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. God knows we all need one. All right, Ted, who do you have as your winner of the week? Uh, my winner right now, we talked about this a little bit earlier. It's the quarantine weight room, guys. Um, putting on the strength, putting on the, the extra LBs. You know my guy, Asamoa. I talk him up all the time went out and threw up a huge number on bench press whenever they retested these guys. That's what I want to see. We needed this team, uh, offensively and defensively, needed to be bigger, faster, and stronger. And that happened over the break. My vote is to send these guys home after spring break every year. We'll see you in late July, guys. Just go to your trainer and spend three hours a day lifting. Just get big, bro. I love it. I like it. Who do you have as your loser of the week? My loser is I hate to I hate to go down this road, Gabe. I do, but it's the governor of New Mexico, Michelle Grisham. She's urging New Mexico and New Mexico State to not play sports this fall. Put out a big letter, big release about it, um, about how it's, it's dangerous and they don't want to play with the lives of, of the New Mexicans out there. I just, this to me, it reeks of trying to score political points. You can't honestly tell me that New Mexico and New Mexico State playing football, testing, making sure their guys are, are healthy, um, following protocols of their conference. Uh, I know New Mexico um, is uh, independent, but following protocols, following testing rules and requirements, uh, masking their players, following safe social uh, distancing guidelines with their coaches and all the, the rules the NCAA's put out there. If teams can play, right, if we can, if we can do this, I just – I don't like this. You can't convince me that these two teams playing football this fall is going to have some massive impact on 
the numbers there in New Mexico, which are really low, lower than, than what we have here in Oklahoma. I just, it, to me, it reeked of trying to score political points by going out there and urging these, these teams to not play. I mean, trust me, New Mexico, New Mexico State, uh, move no needle in college football. And if they don't play, will anybody notice? Absolutely not. They won't. But I just don't want to see other schools, other, uh, excuse me, other governors try and follow suit with this type of, uh, this type of action. Uh, the interesting part of that is New Mexico has already announced that contact sports in high school. So we're talking, you know, things like soccer, obviously football, they can't happen because they put it in the, I think the phrase was the public health order, right? When they updated that for the state. So the high school kids in those sports, they can't play because it's in that health order, right? Well, the thing about the NCAA is Governor Grisham doesn't have any administrative power to ban the NCA sports, to restrict them in any way. So it's great that she can send the suggestion, right? She's making her opinion known. That's great. But frankly, it doesn't matter. Now, does it matter in the court of public opinion and optics? Of course it does. We talk about that all the time, but the NCA doesn't have to listen to her. Right. I, well, I mean, I just, my, my hope is that other governors don't don't follow this. I mean, I was looking at New Mexico's guidelines right now. They're strict as anywhere in the country that I've seen. You can't have a gathering of five or more people in New Mexico right now. Five or more. And they've had all these strict guidelines in, and they're going through the same spike as everyone else in the country right now. So, I don't know. I just – I. I you can't convince me that these teams being as safe as they are testing as, as often as they are, are going to have any type of, of impact one way or, or the other on, on New Mexico's numbers. I mean, if they're not playing in, in front of a, a stadium packed full of a hundred thousand people, which New Mexico state and New Mexico are not right. I mean, unlikely. I don't, I just, I don't know. I was frustrated by that. All right, Ted, my winner of the week the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, just a reminder, everyone, baseball starts this weekend. Are, you, are we going to watch baseball? Are we going to talk about baseball on here? Should we decide this now? Because my vote is if something really cool happens, we'll talk about it. But other than that, eh, eh. Well, you saw my, uh, my logo of a guy in football pads shooting a horrible jump shot for football guys talking basketball. The FGTB is the exact same. I just have to draw a picture of a guy in a football helmet taking a massive cut at a baseball and whiffing. And it's kind of the same thing. Football guys talking baseball. Well, we need to reach out to our friends at Opolis, right, and get those T-shirts made. We'll split it it with you guys. It'll be great. Oh, cool. Teddy, did your five-year-old son draw this? This is awesome. (laughs) Uh, yeah, no, that was me. Yeah. Yeah. He drew it. (laughs) All right. So my winner of the week, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and it's all because of Mookie Betts, who is my, probably my favorite player in baseball. 
remember they the Dodgers made the trade with Boston for Mookie Betts, upsetting everyone in Boston, including Bill Simmons. He talks about it constantly still. still. Now, it looked like they may have made a horrible mistake, right? Because at a time we thought that, hey, there may not be any baseball played. They gave up prospects for a guy that's not even going to play a game in a Dodgers jersey. Well, baseball figured it out. The the league and the players union figured it out. And Mookie Betts is going to wear Dodger blue in the shortened season. They are one of the favorites in the shortened season. And they just signed him to a 12-year extension. 12 years, $365 million. So all the jokes that the Dodgers weren't even going to get Mookie Betts for a game, and all of a sudden they've got him for the next, if you count this season, 13 years. I'd say it worked out for him. That's pretty good. $365 million will buy you like a two-bedroom, one-bath in Malibu. So he's got that going for him. He'll just have to take out some endorsement deals to pay for the property tax. He's going he's gonna to live in a shoebox in Beverly Hills with that salary. <laughs> No, that's cool. I'm glad they got that that going. Uh, not necessarily a Dodgers fan. Um, I think they got a really good shot at it this year. I picked, shockingly, the Milwaukee Brewers to win the World Series in a shortened season. Don't ask me why. I don't have good data to back it up. I'm just taking the Brew Crew. It's easy. You like drinking beer? Hey, <laughs> yes. Um, so Simmons talking about this trade, he for a long time said that the James Harden trade to Houston is the worst trade in the history of professional sports. Has he come off of that now and taken this, uh, Mookie bets? Harden trade still comes up (laughs) on the, uh, Bill Simmons podcast, which is maybe my favorite podcast up there with, of course, this one, but also with part of my take. Um, I'd listen to every episode of those two. And yeah, the Harden comes up every once in a while. Uh, the uh, Hey, did you know that Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden were on the same team? Amazing. It's incredible. Amazing. Uh, there's, there's kids right now that are like, can you imagine if those three guys ever linked up together? That would be crazy. Crazy, bro. All right, my loser of the week. And this one, uh, this one hits home. I'm, I'm not going to lie. And it is NFL undrafted free agents, like I was. And it's an uphill battle as is. It really is. When you go undrafted, you really don't have one in, anyone in your corner because that means they didn't think you were good enough to invest a draft pick in you. The GM is not going to have your back. Your position coach most likely not going to have your back. And the fact that the NFL is going to reduce the size of training camp rosters from 90 to 80, and it looks like they're not going to play any preseason games. Well, it's essentially impossible for an undrafted guy to make a roster in those conditions. Teams are going to go with veterans because who knows what training camp practices are even going to look like. So the odds were against the undrafted guys anyways. Now, they can definitely make an impression in practice. There's no doubt. Will there be an undrafted guy make a team? Hell yeah, there will. There'll be a guy that just crushes it in practice. No doubt in my mind. I bet it happens for several guys. 
because, well, they're cheap. And sometimes you got to pinch pennies if you're an NFL team with the salary cap. But the reason this is so devastating and the reason that it's, I mean, it, it really does upset me and make me so sad for those guys is because they don't get to put things on tape in preseason games. I was able to scrape together a four-year career in the NFL. I never made a roster out of training camp. I never went through camp with a team and got the satisfaction of them saying, hey, Gabe, you made the team. That never happened for me. But the reason I ended up on active rosters was because I put good things on tape in preseason games because I knew the other 31 teams were watching. They were watching. They watch every snap of every single preseason game. Even even everyone that bitches about the fourth game and, oh, these guys aren't going to make it. Listen, those snaps matter to those guys, and it matters to guys in the NFL. You can stand out in those situations. And I stood out in some of those situations. And that's the reason that I got claimed by the Buffalo Bills when the Titans cut me. I mean, it is. And I know it's the reason because they told me it was the reason. So I I just, Ted, I I mean, I know, and not to make you feel bad, you can't relate. You were a second rounder. You were, were what, the 37th pick of the draft. Yeah, but I've still been cut and still been trying to make a squad Try to make me feel bad for you, thirty-seven. I'm just kidding. No, I, I, I was when I was in Jacksonville. I was trying to make the squad in the final in the final preseason game, and you know, I, I didn't make it. But um, actually, in that situation, I probably would have made the team uh, had we not had preseason games. But uh, it's just a, it's just a bad situation all the way around. Um, the other thing is, not only can you not see other film from preseason games there's not going to be any joint practices either and that's just another way for a whole you know uh, organization of you know what what do you think 60 50 or 60 people watch that film as far as decision makers I mean coaches GMs here's an example we went in my rookie year before I blew my knee out we went and had a joint practice against the Falcons and I played well in the joint practice. I mean, I did. I was playing at a high level. And actually, Gil Brandt wrote an article about undrafted guys that were likely to make the roster. And I was at like the top of this list because of the reports that were coming out of those joint practices. And I remember there was a couple of coaches from Atlanta that came up to me and they're like, hey, it doesn't work out in Tennessee. Like, just letting you know, we, we've got our eye on you. You're, keep, keep playing that way. Keep it up. So that stuff happens, man. Anyone that thinks it doesn't happen, uh, they're lying to themselves. You're, you're exactly right, Ted. Yeah. I'll tell you, I mean, you never know. Like a lot of coaches, it's musical chairs, right? So if, if like, for instance, you're playing, you're playing center in a game, a preseason game against whoever it is, um, you know, maybe – you know, just whatever random team. And the coach you played for your rookie year is now on that team. 
And he takes that film and like, hey, watch this guy. I had him whenever he was a rookie, um, you know, at my last stop. He's a good player. Or uh, a GM has moved a special teams coach that knew you said, hey, this guy's a good kid. Uh, he was always really good in the special teams meetings. He's smart. I mean, there's just any number of people, uh, with, no matter what the games are, have a chance to, to say something in one of those staff meetings for you. Yeah. So I just, it just sucks, man. And I, I know the league's just trying to do what's best when it comes to the health and safety of the players, but I just, I feel awful for those, those undrafted guys, because I mean, they, they, the odds are really stacked against them this year. Yeah. Here's another thing that I'm interested in. You know, one of the things that people don't know about the NFL is every Monday and Tuesday after a game, you'll walk into the locker room that morning and there's going to be about 10 or 15 random guys that you've never seen before. Actually, some players you may know are sitting there in the players' lounge and they are about to try out to try and take someone's position on the team. Try that happens. You're there to try to take your job. And in that situation, what's the first thing you do, Teddy? You look for the guys that might play your position. You, <laughs> no, he's too – so for me, example, I would be like, no, that guy's definitely a tackle. I'm good. Oh, that guy's – no, that guy's a tight end. I'm good. And you, you do that process every single week. Like, oh, God, they're trying to replace me. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yep. They bring in a whole crew to try and replace um, some of the guys on the team. Usually it doesn't happen, but every now and then they'll sign a guy. But – what my question is, why, what's going to be the protocol with that? I mean, if you take a couple of injuries in a game and all of a sudden you're really short at wide receiver, you're short at, at corner or offensive line, and you need to bring some guys in, work them out, and, and sign a guy to give yourself some depth, like what's the protocol? Does a guy have to test positive before you ever bring him in? Does he have to 14-day isolate before you can ever bring him in to, to work? Like, how is that going to work? Are they going to like quarantine a group of like a hundred guys? The bubble, <laughs> a pool of players that like you could grab from if some of your guys test positive. That would that actually makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm honestly that makes as much sense as anything else. I mean, if you were listen, the the NFL just makes so much money. If you're a team, I wouldn't be surprised because every team has their short list, right? like hey i'm calling if we have an interior lineman go down i'm calling this guy that's my the first guy i'm calling if i'm a general manager i am sending tests to the top the top guys at every position on my short list every week and i'm saying hey spit in this tube or whatever you got to do take it to the lab get blood work done we'll pay for it send it back I, I would do that. I, I would. And that way, you know, you have options because I don't know if people know this, but people get hurt a lot in football. Um, that's why when you, one of the funniest things is a Super Bowl banner at an NFL facility because you're like, I thought there's only 53 guys on the team and there's 74 a rings. Names. <laughs> right. I mean, I can picture it now. Uh, 
Hey, honey, will you swab your cheek real quick with this thing? I've had the sniffles the last couple of days. We can't take any chances. I'm trying to make a roster here. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do what you got to That's something I mean, you do 100%. Here's the thing. Um, like it, it, uh, I would try and have something like this happen. You, you can't sign a, a guy this year uh, as, a, as a free agent unless he was in camp. Right. And if a guy was in camp and he was released somewhere, you kind of go into a pool of players and I mean, are they going to be able to keep a pool of players together in isolation somewhere? No, but at least you can say that these guys have been tested and you can continue to send tests to them. Maybe. I mean, right. Th- that's something that I would think of instead of just calling Antonio Brown, who's been doing God knows what for the last, six months and have them come in for a workout. It's like, let's stay with some guys that have been in the, in the protocol a little bit. No, he retired. He's not, he retired. That's right. Yeah. Right. That guy's (laughs) definitely playing again and he should because he's damn good. Um, I wish the best for Antonio Brown. seems like he's at a rough stretch. All right, Ted, let's finish it out with everybody's favorite segment. And that is keeping it local where we highlight what's going on in the great state of Oklahoma. And this one it's not political or anything like that, but I do want your thoughts on kind of how it affects sports. Oklahoma City Public Schools will begin the school year August 31st instead of August 10th. Schools will have nine weeks of virtual learning before returning to face-to-face learning, or at least that's what the plan sounds like. I guess there's an online curriculum option where kids can go at their own speed and like they send stuff to teachers and they get feedback and this, this type of thing. And you can do it for the entire year, but then there's a remote learning option where it's essentially a virtual classroom with the teacher that you would have if you were there in person, which seems like the option that I would go with if I was a parent, but I'm not. But one cool thing Every kid is getting an iPad or Chromebook for the online schooling, and they're giving hotspots to kids that don't have the internet at home. Now, Ted, this clearly isn't ideal. School is so important, obviously the academic component, but the social component. I I still am so close with some of my best friends from high school that, you know, some of my favorite memories are just messing around at, at school. So all that being said, how does this affect high school football? <laughs> Am I-, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know because didn't I see the, um, um, yeah. oh gosh, what's his name? The main guy at the OSSAA said that even if they're doing virtual school only, they'll still be eligible for extracurricular activities. That's what they said. So if that's the case, my guess is it doesn't affect sports. But I don't know because it doesn't rightly make a whole bunch of sense that you got 60 kids out there doing football practice, but you can't have 30 kids sitting in a classroom together. So I, I don't know. I mean, my guess is it's – it's not going to have an effect on, on sports, but I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly don't know. I, I wonder how parents feel about this. 
because I know how this parent feels about this. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> these kids, it, they need the interaction, man. They need to go there and learn. You know, there's a high school senior can sit there and pay attention to a, an online class and, and follow that. But a kindergartner, a first grader, a third grader, a sixth grader, you can't sit there and pay attention for any, any amount of time at all. If the teacher's not right there, essentially threatening to send you to the principal nonstop to keep your eyes focused and, and what's going on. So I mean, number one is the learning isn't, isn't going to be, they're not going to be getting anything or much accomplished there. And the other thing is, I mean, I don't know how parents are going to do this. I mean, I know people have been struggling and figuring out a way to do it since March, but I mean, I don't know. Everyone was, was trying to finally get to this moment to where they can get a little bit of normalcy back, not just for themselves in the way that they operate their household, um, have an occupation and all of those things, but also get their kids back into a normal schedule, a routine that actually means something and they can start moving forward towards some goals. I just want kids to be able to play high school football. I mean, Hey, and just going to throw this out there. Maybe this is your, everyone always clamoring for the private schools in Oklahoma to just play themselves. You don't know what's going to happen in some of these bigger school districts. Maybe this is the year to see what that looks like. Now, once again, I, I think the private schools should play all the public schools in this state. There's not enough private schools for there to be a competitive league. I've talked about that a lot. But I wouldn't mind, say, seeing Bishop McGinnis and Heritage Hall play each other in football this year. Those, those two teams should play each other in football every year. I have no idea why they don't. And whatever the reasoning is, is stupid. Those two schools should play. But it'll be interesting to see how creative the scheduling gets when it comes to high school football. But I would like to wish the parents of any of these kids that are in the Oklahoma City public school system the best of luck. We're thinking about you. We're praying for you. We're here for you. If you need to talk, just, just let us know. Now, my understanding, and you may know more about this than I do, but my understanding is that private schools can operate how they want unless it's mandated by the state that they cannot, right? That sounds right to me. I'm not going to pretend like I know all the rules, but that sounds like how it would work. That's how I understand it is that, and this could be wrong and someone may, may reach out to us and let us know if it's not, but I think private schools can operate uh, as long as they follow the, the protocols laid out there, um, unless the state mandates that they cannot do that. And I honestly don't see that happening. Everyone should tag Bishop McGinnis football and tag Heritage Hall football in a tweet and say, this is the year you guys play. You got to play this year. I'm just saying that game needs to happen. I don't understand why it doesn't. I'm telling you, though, I mean, that is – Bishop McGinnis, uh, those schools are going to see – I think they're going to see a lot of people start moving that way, man. I honestly do. We'll see. Now, Ted, let's finish up with a quick Twitter question. This comes from our man Dave, at 12th Man in Edmond. Big fan of the show. Love Always a ton of feedback. From- Is he? <laughs> hey, he listens. And he's- a big listener to the show. So he asks, if OU has to pick up one SEC and one ACC game – 
who would you like to see them play? Now, obviously, they still have Tennessee on the schedule, but if I could pick an SEC team for them to play, and it's not because Dave sent this question in, I'd want to see them play A&M. I think A&M is going to be a really good football team this year. I think that the schedule's a lot easier than it was for them last year, and they've got a solid quarterback in Kellen Mond that could have some Heisman buzz at some point. But I think that'd be a good test for OU. And frankly, I would just want to see the buildup to that game between the fan bases because you talk about two fan bases that absolutely get after each other. It's OU and A&M. They just go at each other's throats, man. I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Yes. But let me say this. Can you imagine if you're Texas A&M, okay, and you just went through that gauntlet of a schedule that you had to go through last year, Clemson in the non-conference, um, you know, obviously the brutal SEC West, and they're like, okay, we came out with our new Big 12 SEC, uh, you know, challenge teams, and Texas A&M has Oklahoma. They'd be like, you have to be shitting me. Are you kidding me? We after what we've gone through, now we have to add Oklahoma into the mix. We played Clemson in the non-conference last year. Now we've got to play Oklahoma. The best part would be like if they played in the opener, right? Because A&M is scheduled to take on Abilene Christian in the opener. Instead, they're like, no, 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 you're going to play, you're going to play OU. All those players would be like, I mean, I'm fired up, but damn, okay. Yeah, that's – now, I – I'd like to see a Florida game. I think Florida is going to be really good this year. And, gosh, it's been a long time since we had a a matchup with Florida. So, I think that would be a good one. Who would you want from the ACC? I would want in a team that's got a lot of hype and we talked about their head coach maybe wearing a face shield and some sticks around him for the game. I would want to to see OU North Carolina and – it's because Sam Howe is supposed to be, you know, kind of entering the elite level of college quarterbacks, um, high expectations for him. But really, I would just want to see the color matchup. I would want to see that crimson and that Carolina blue on the same field. Oh, you talk about an aesthetically pleasing football game. Sign me up for that. I played against North Carolina, Gabe, my sophomore year. That was the uh, first game I – was that the first game of the season? I think it was it, definitely early. I'm, I would think it was the first game of the season. I'm trying to remember I was that maybe it was the first game I ever started, but maybe it was the second one. Um, and uh, all I know is we scored like 40 points in like the first 10 minutes, and I was on kickoff coverage. Buddy, let me tell you something. That was one dog-tired dude after that but no i mean that would be cool um but if i'm picking a team from the acc you know where i'm going give me clemson let's go might as well let's go if you're scared get a dog that's right i'm give me the best whoever you got let's go man Clemson in the spring when Trevor Lawrence isn't playing uh, when ETN's not playing wait what i don't know Dude, the ukulele kid looks unbelievable. No big deal. 6'5", like 255-pound quarterback. Give the Sooners Clemson. Let's get real. Let's just get weird. Why not? If 
that would be this is the year for it this is the year for it now episode 27 in the books ted 27 we'll have a new podcast that'll drop monday morning just a reminder you can hear teddy from two to six on sports talk 1400 you can hear me on sirius xm big 12 radio channel 375 hope you all have a great weekend until next time we appreciate y'all for listening and do what you always do oklahoma take care of each other Just one